Well, good morning. This morning I wanted to talk about God's faithfulness. Interesting thing we just talked about was the, 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 the uh, actual song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I'm going to read you something about the, the, the words of that particular song. It said, there's a gentleman, Thomas Obadiah Chrism, had a difficult adult life. His health was fragile, and there were periods of time when he was confined to bed and unable to walk. Between bouts of illness, he would have to push himself into an extra hour of various jobs in order to make ends meet. And he found the Christ at the age of 27. And Thomas found great comfort in the scriptures and, and in the fact that God was faithful to his length of time and illness and weakness to provide his needs. His favorite verses were Lamentations 22 to 23. While away from home on a mission trip, Thomas wrote to his good friend, William Runyon, and he was an unknown musician, and he was the one who composed Great Is Thy Faithfulness in 1923. Still unknown. Nobody knew about it. It was not until 1945 when George Beverly Shea began to sing Great Is Thy Faithfulness at the Billy Graham Crusade that the hymn was heard around the world. Great is thy faithfulness. And I was, I'm, I was thinking about that when I, I've been at Hope for 73 years, where we've come from, where we've been. God has been faithful. And I want to look at that. You know, I, I was born in 1950 and, and when we went to church at Cope Brant and Simple. How many of you remember Cope Brant and Simple? Not very many. It was down in the city. And uh, I was, when I was born, I was two months premature because I was a twin. And uh, I was weighed three pounds, two ounces. I was in an incubator for 30 days back in 1950. <clears throat> Didn't know whether we'd make it or not, but my, my twin brother, he was, only, he was only in the hospital for a week, and then he got out. And so he, 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 he wasn't there very long. But God was faithful in our lives even back then. First pastor I knew back in Copray and Semple was Pastor Thornton. Uh, I didn't know him personally, but I, I knew of him. The second pastor that was there was, was Pastor Dr. Bach. And then after him was uh, McMillan, Pastor McMillan. And uh, then when we moved out here in 1958, uh, was Pastor Forge. He was instrumental to me in leading uh, me to the Lord. Picture of Dr. Dr. Bach, and then Pastor McMillan, and then Pastor Forge. And then, of course, the, the pastor who was here for a long time, the next one is Pastor Miller. What a great godly man he was in his faithfulness in missions. And there were other people involved in missions that were, were helpful to me. Uh, uh, this is a picture back in, uh, 1940, in the Ford 1940s, the men's class in uh, Copriant and Semple. These were all, you, you won't recognize a lot of these men maybe, but those were all the men who were, I, at least where I live, we called Hope Hill, where they were special in that we worked together, we, we were, did things together, but God was faithful in bringing all these guys back from the war. I think there was like 60 men who were in the war and brought them back all safely, and they were instrumental, all these men. My dad is down in the lower right-hand corner, uh, and next to him is Mr. Billings, if you remember that name. And then uh, next to him is Mr. Uh, I can't remember him. Then next to him is Mr. Miller. Behind him is other people, Mr. Lucky, Mr. 
McAtee and, and Mr. Uh, Snarenberg, men who were instrumental in our lives when we were, when we were kids. It was God's faithfulness. And so I want to really just look at this morning God's faithfulness to me and my in, in hope and in my life. And I, I wanted to look at uh, the scriptures this morning. And we're going to look at two different things. There's Dorothy Clark. You remember her? And then uh, Hazel and David Noten and the Woodbins. And then there's a, there's a picture a long time ago when it was built in 1958, Hope Church. Uh, it's a little different now around the church now, but and then the last picture, uh, that's Don Miller when we started our, our uh, ministry at, an, at the Grace Church out in uh, St. Charles. And then the one guy that was interesting to me when I was younger, when I was a teenager, uh, Glenn Jones was my youth minister. And he was faithful and took us under his wing, educated us in saying, you know, you really have to have a daily devotional with God. It is important in your life to be valuable he impressed that upon us. He and uh, his wife's name was Anna. We called her Anna Banana because she was just a funny gal, a funny lady that we were interested in. But I wanted to look at scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, or we may have it on the screen, it's Lamentations 31, 3, 21 to 24. Very familiar passage, and it says, Yet I call this to mind, and therefore have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on him. The context of these verses is the prophet Jeremiah. And he was writing, as the name of the book talks about, lamenting. He was lamenting about the people and the country of Israel. It was a dark time. Jerusalem had been destroyed. Babylon had been taken captive. But God orchestrated this. He said in Lamentations 1.5, it says this, For her foes have become her master, and her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile and captive before the foe. Jeremiah is broken. His prophet, he had given God's message to the Jewish people, and they turned from their sinful ways, but they wouldn't, wouldn't go back. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go back to the Lord. But Israel and the people did not heed this plea. They therefore allowed the enemies of God to, enemies to take over Israel. You know, they conquered them to be in the captivity. And Jeremiah's condition was outwardly afflicted, but inwardly he had turmoil. And he, his thought was despair. <clears throat> but then he thought, you know, in Lamentations 3.20, he said, My soul is downcast within me. He knows the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his mind is drawn back to the scripture to crowd out the hopelessness he feels. And he says, there's a ray of hope. And in verse 21, it says, my hope is in the Lord. <clears throat> because the Lord's glory is great, he's not consumed, his compassions never fail. God was true to his word and to his nature. God saw the big picture. He knew the Israelites had learned a lesson, had to learn a lesson, but it was a lesson to obedience of God. And love. God loved his people and was looking out for them, and he had promised to take them back after captivity. But they needed to learn to trust and obey in his covenant and to seek him in his word. We read in Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 11. Yeah, we're going through a lot of scriptures this morning. 
The Lord did not set his affection on you. He chose you because you were more numerous people than others. For you kept were the fewest of all people. But it was the Lord, the, because the Lord, he loved you, he kept an oath. He swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and deemed you from the land of slavery and from the power of Pharaoh, the Egypt, the king. Know, therefore, that the Lord is your God. He is your God, and he is faithful God, keeping this covenant to a thousand generations of those who have kept him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face in destruction. He will not be slow to repay their face and those who hate him. Therefore, take care and follow the commands and decrees and laws I give you today. We need to follow God's commands and laws. Israel did not do that. You know, they had so many prophets talking to them, saying, come back to the Lord. Were they? They did not come back until they were taken into captivity. God had an eye on his people, and while they were unfaithful, he was still faithful to protect and love and give them hope for his, keep his word. They were blessed even though we could not get, he not, they could not get out of the situation themselves, these they thought. But they did what they, they do, we do today. We think, we can do this without going to God in prayer. But we need to ask ourselves, Lord, what is it you want of me? What is it you want me to do? How do you live our life? How can we be used by you? We know God is faithful because Psalm 119.90 says this, Your faithfulness continues through all generations. In my life, I've seen the hand of God to be faithful in the past 73 years of this church. Through the ministry of the, of the good times and the challenging times. Missions, ministry, pastoral, building fund, blessings abound, and teaching of the word of God. So we look, we look at that and we say, well, Hope's history has been great and God has blessed it. But what can we do today to, for, for 135 years? It's been 135 years of hope. Thinking today, we have a lot of biblical truths that we can apply to our life. I wanted to look at a few scriptures today and what we thought of living in today's world. I want to go back to Psalm 37. Well, it's got 40 verses. You know, one of my favorite verses that I always quote is Psalm 37:25. Once I was young, and now I am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. I remember my grandfather over here, number of many, many years ago, at, in Thanksgiving morning, would say that verse. I never knew what it meant because I was young and he was old. Now I am old, and my granddaughters and everybody else are young. And in, and David is saying in this psalm, he's looking back, and, he's, and he, he says, you know, I've got wisdom of all these years I've lived. I've, I've seen all these things. God has been faithful to me. Even though the world's corrupt and evil's around us. You know, we, we, we've seen things five years ago we would, never, uh, you know, we would never think today that would have happened, but they're out there. He's given us wisdom. And he talks back on his life, and he's saying to God, saying to us, trust in the Lord. Psalm 37, 1 to 7 says this, and I'm not going to do all the 40 verses, just the first seven verses. It says this, Psalm 37, 1 to 7, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong, for they are like the grass that will soon wither. 
Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, and he will do this. <clears throat> he will make you the righteous reward like the, sun, like, the, like the dawn. Your vindication of the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succumb to their ways. So we're going to look at this. Let's look at the first seven things I want to look at this morning. As we, number one, it says, don't worry. That's more easier said than done. Trust in the Lord. Number three, do good in the Lord. Number four, delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. You get a, you get a bit drift of what's going on here. Be patient before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Let's look at verse one. It says, do not fret because of evil men or envious of those who do wrong. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon said this, there's no room for fretting or worrying if we remember that God is ours. Every attribute, every word of promise comes forth from him should be our focus and delight. We are told not to fret or be envious of evil men. Fret means do not get heated, do, keep your cool. Do not be angry or indigent. In other words, don't worry about what others, what they might or might not do. Sometimes we get worked up over things, don't we? We look at things that are around the world and things that are around us. And we say, the wicked have, have ways and the evildoers get away with everything. We cry to God and we say, don't you see what's going on, God? Don't you see what's happening? They're getting away without any consequences. You, you think what, what they have is really sometimes what I want. I want what they have. But don't get in the trap of envy. We hear what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. God is in control. And I can remember a couple of things in Scripture where it talked about examples where man's ways, but God had control over those ways. Remember Haman in the book of Esther? Haman commanded the gals be built for, to hang Mordecai, if you remember that. But in the end, who hung on those gallows? It was Haman himself. And then Saul. Saul was wanted to kill David. It was pointed out that he had chased David for as long as 13 years. David was appointed to be king. Saul got his sword to kill David. But in the end, what happened to David? I mean, Saul, he fell in his own sword. Let's go to verse 2. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like the green plants, they will soon die away. What this really means is keep an eternal perspective. We can see that the wicked get away with things. However, God says in his time, like the grass will wither and die, here today, gone tomorrow. And it could be an example was when, you know, in the summertime, normally at this time of the year, the grass would be dead because it would be so hot and cut. They, and the, usually the farmers would cut it down and use it as hay or feed. G. Campbell Morgan in commentaries said this about evildoers. He said, the test is found in time. All the apparent prosperity of the wicked is transient. It passes and perishes as do the wicked themselves. You know, when we think about it, if you're a believer, this life living before the next life is the worst you'll ever have. The next life in eternity will be the best life you'll ever have. <clears throat> With the, someone who rejects Christ this life is the best they will ever have. The next life will be the worst. Keep 
in eternal perspective. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good in, in the land. Enjoy safe pasture. Verse 3 is the answer to living and fearing evil. Do not be afraid of evil. Trust in the Lord who can answer your prayers in your heart. <clears throat> trust God is going to take care of you and that he will watch out for your safety and in defiance of evil. Verse 3 also says do good, which is the opposite of evil. When you trust in God, you will, your will or the desire of your heart when it's with God will want to do good for God's sake, not your own sake. When I was younger, I knew my dad wanted me to do good. You know, maybe your parents told you, yeah, you got to do good. And, and he would say, you know, hey, we have a family name, Tally. Don't do anything to hinder that or denounce that family name. Now, did my dad ever say that outright? No, he never said that outright. But I knew because it was implied that you honor your father and your mother. You keep your nose clean and stay out of trouble. I never got into any serious trouble because I didn't want to. I associated with the people here at church or in my neighborhood who, were, who went to church. We are to do good and shine our light in the world. And the question could be, what are we doing for our world? We have the good news. We could be a positive influence in the lives of those around us. Do we know people who are believers? Do we care about the souls of our family if they don't, do not know Christ? We can be used by God to deliver a positive message to engage in the world. That's what it means to dwell in the land. Complaining is not the answer. We have to be used as a vessel by God. Verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of our heart. And this is an interesting part. Delight means something to experience an immense pleasure and joy. This happens when we know someone well and spending time and doing things and being around them. In this case, it's, it's, it's God. This is a command. Studying delight or joy means honor. Or we are hardwired for happiness. Joy is central. Worth and value to honor the Lord. Psalm 1611 says this. You have made known to me the path of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Thus, in order to have joy in God, we must know, know him better. How, well, how do you do that? Daily devotions, prayer, meditation, Bible study, listening to good teachers, Bible teachers online or and, and wherever you go. And it was impressed on me because when I was young, our family had a point of having dinner together. I don't know when you were, when you were younger whether you said, okay, this is the time we're going to have dinner together. We all had to do, things to do. We had homework, chores, things around the house, things to be done, baseball games, practice, church activities. So when my dad came home, dinner was ready, and we all knew we had to be home and eat for dinner. It was important. We would pray. We would eat together. And then after the meal, my father would have family devotions. Now, I don't remember any particular devotion that outstanding, but it left an impression on me that God was important, important enough to give everyone perspective to hear the, God's word, to know him, to experience him, to spend time with him in his word. The commentaries on this one, Adam Clark, Derek Kinder, and Charles Spurgeon said this. Adam Clark says, To delight yourself means to expect all your happiness is from him and seek it in him. 
All your delight yourself means to expect all your happiness is from him and seek him. Derek Kinder says, it includes a deliberate redirection of one's emotions, such as like Paul and Silas in a, in a Philippian prison after being beaten to begin singing. It's, it's amazing. I don't know if I would ever be able to do that with in that process. And Charles Spurgeon said this, they said of Martin Luther as he walked down the street, here comes a man that has going to have anything, anything of God he likes. You ask the reason of it because Luther delighted himself in God. So the key to Christian living comes not from trying harder, it comes from enjoying more. Christians do not realize how deeply Satan is committed to your joy, meaning that Satan is here to create joy and passion in your sin of your life, in which the result in misery. Joy expresses a whole, is an expression of the whole soul. Joy is holistic, it's not partial. <laughs> joy, you can, uh, is, it means the whole being. You can't fake joy. You can't have fake. You can't fake having joy, but you cannot fake joy. It's sincere. I just like not won't, won't eat Brussels sprouts. Like if you came to your house and you had Brussels sprouts, I would eat them and I would put on a, a joyful face. But everyone would know how insincere joy that would be. I said, No, I'm not eating those. So the question is, how would you describe your joy in Christ? How do you enjoy God? Psalm 145.5 says this, They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. Knowing the joy of Christ, which is a deep, durable delight of joy, is the beauty of God which will sustain, sustain you in those challenging times. <clears throat> Mr. Augusta said this, he says, How sweet it was, at all at once to be rid of those fruitless joys I once feared to lose when you took their place to find your joy in God. Verse 5 says this, Commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him and He will do this. Surrendering everything to God, He will bring it to pass. This again is another command that says you will bring your will and make a conscious decision to go down the road of living for God. Commit means to take an action. You're putting your life and effort in God. It's not an obligation or a work process, but a meaningful action of the will. To trust God in his word and his promises and his love by using your life. You may not think that you know what your life will bring, but in your hands in the Lord, he will dedicate your life to him and see what he can do. He can take care, take care of us better than we can ourselves. We should be waiting patiently for what is best for us. On March 11th, 1812, how many were, nobody was born with them, were they? March 11th, 1812, William Carey, a missionary to India, was doing translation work and was put 20 years worth of work into his effort with 55,000 pages of irreplaceable manuscripts. He was spun away in a speaking engagement when his printing shop, and there was a fire, destroyed all his paperwork, all his, his work of translation of 20 years. When asked what he thought about it, he said, it's okay, we'll rebuild. Word got out among the country of India as well as back in the USA, and people started sending funds, and it was, they built a bigger and better than ever. And then Kerry said this, he said, as we look back over our lives in the bleak times of negative ways and problems, 
God was ready to make it positive. Carrie had a commitment. He had a commitment to focus on what God would take care of the situation no matter what. His focus was on God, not himself. We look at verse 6, but looks back at verse 5 and says, He will do this. And this the answer to the question is, what will he do? The answer is verse 6, He will make your righteousness not shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause of the new day sun. Your reputation as a believer in this day and age is going to be tested. It may have been tested already. God says here, we are to commit ourselves to the Lord in our life and put our trust in him and take care of us in the culture of this evil world. It's implied that the righteousness and the judgment of believers will be clouded or rebuked by the evil of this world, including false charges. You know, you look at Job or you look at Christ, they didn't deserve all those charges against them. But it's the promise of God in due time, not our time, that will roll up or clear up our innocence and bring forth righteousness in, his, in honor to his name. Matthew thirteen forty three says, The righteous will shine like the sun in the, in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has an ear, let him hear. If we take care of a good conscience, God, we leave it to the God, he will take care of our good name. And we get to verse 7, the last verse. He says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And do not fret. You've heard that word before in the first verse. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they conduct their wicked schemes. Verse 7 says, we finally get to rest in the Lord and wait. From the beginning of the chapter, we were told to not to worry, trust in the Lord, do good, delight yourself in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, and entrust in him. We need to be sincere when we have turned or rolled everything over to him to believe in God and trust in him. This is what God does best and we do not. We don't do it very well. God will be satisfied when we are subject to him in submissive spirit or silence. He will make it all work for good for us. We must be still and silent before him, turn off the world and be alone just with him. When you go to bed at night, what is, your, is your mind racing on things that you may or may not have control over? Where is God in your thinking? When the world gets loud around us, God speaks and says, Can you hear me? Turn down the volume and listen to him. The familiar passage of scripture of Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So how do we know God unless we are still? Roll your burdens upon him. He can take it. Wait on the Lord, and there are a lot of verses on the subject, but too many times in the Bible, people were told to be patient and stand still and wait. And in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17, it says this, But you will not even fight, need to fight. Take your positions, stand still, and watch what the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or be discouraged, going out against them tomorrow, for the Lord God is with you. Being patient and while waiting on God does not mean we'll just do nothing. Waiting, as we read in Second Chronicles, and his endurance is to stand firm. It's not simply a passive exercise, but rather an active, confident expectation of results, with the strength of a character preserved as long as it requires. You are waiting for something, and absolutely you cannot have the patience to wait on God without trusting Him. And that's what we need to do, trust Him.
So today you've heard the words of faithfulness and God's hope past and God's still, still being faithful. You know that even when we have his goodness and blessing in our lifetime, we've learned that today evil is pronounced, meaning it seems to be everywhere we cling to trust in God and lean on his word. I remember in my life, this is what I did when times of just trouble or distress came. I would write out scriptures on a 3 by 5 card every morning. I would get those cards out, pull them out of my desk, read them, put them back in my desk. And I, didn't, I know it didn't sink in at the time, but the words were in my heart and soul. I couldn't see the other side of the situation. I just went day by day. I'd open the drawer, read the verses, put them back in the drawer. It was, at the time, all I could do. But through it all, as the song says, through it all, my eyes were on the Lord, and as I read earlier, His compassions never fail. Never. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yes, He was faithful in looking back on the fog of life and it was lifted from me. Even though my eyes were on Him, He never left me. He never let me go because I was His child. The passage of today in Psalm 37 gives us a biblical guide to an evil world. David lived through a challenging time, but he set the standard bar for us to, to be encouraged at, in this time. <clears throat> Don't worry, be envi- or be envious of men or those who are wrong about you. God will be the one who takes care of them. Number two, trust in the Lord and do good. When we place our trust in Him, we are led by Him, and He gives us His Spirit to want to do good for Him. Not in our measure, but to please Him. Delight yourself in the Lord. Redirect your emotions. Experience immense pleasure and joy getting to know Him. Get involved in a Bible study, prayer meeting, devotions, listen to the words or sermon. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in one thing, but commit is the action you personally must take to surrender who you are to Him and put that trust into action. Remember, He can change our life to make it better. Just look at, the, look at Saul on the road to Damascus. He was radically changed by God. Number five, he's still before the Lord, and when we have turned over our, rolled over our life to Him, the burdens we have the Lord to rest in Him, he, and we need to be still and watch what He will do with our life. And lastly, wait patiently for Him. You have put your life in His hands. Now learn what He is to do and to stand still and hear Him as God. He loves us and wants the joy in our hearts to know Him. Let's pray together. Father, we've heard your word this morning. We've sung your songs. Great is your faithfulness. I've seen it over the years at Hope and in my life. Lord, I just thank you that you are a God that is one who takes care of us, who watches over us, even when things get difficult. Lord, we just pray that we would be mindful of who you are. And Psalm 37 says, Do not delight ourselves in the Lord. Delight ourselves in what your word says to us, that we would be overcome for, for what you are in our life. Lord, if there is anybody here who does not know you, I pray that you would open your hearts and minds to them, your spirit. Be with us now. Guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen.